right? What was that? Three to five. May be dismissed. Those from six to nine can come up and get clipboards. Or are there? There are clipboards, right? Okay. Where'd he go? He introduced you already, I guess. Okay. So Dan's going to come and preach now. You know what? My first thing now is all set. Thank you. I'm going to turn the lapel on. All right. Our sermon text is Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 to 4. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, says this, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that in the next few minutes you would help us to understand the immensity of the riches that we have in Christ Jesus, to be um, in full awe of him, so as to love him and obey him, and uh, to, to have our hope renewed that someday we will yet be with him. Bless us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, this text is a a rich, rich text. And it's a rich text uh, in that it it addresses a, a staggering, stunning reality in the Christian life. One that I fear we don't talk about very much. Maybe that's not true here. Uh, I would hope it wouldn't be true here. But the reality of our union with Christ just is, is blazing out of this passage. Union with Christ, if you're not familiar with that phrase, that's not a phrase that's found in the pages of the Bible. But it's, it's a term that we use to describe the way that the New Testament authors, particularly Paul and John, and we're reading from Paul here, the way that these authors talk about the Christian life. What that means is that because of salvation, union with Christ, because of salvation, believers are joined with Christ in the Spirit so as to be, so to speak, one person. You and I. Joined to Christ by the Spirit, so as to be, so to speak, one person. Branches abiding in the vine. Christ's life, Christ's identity, and Christ's blessings are fully shared with the believer. 
That's what union with Christ means. And it's staggering. It doesn't mean, of course, that we become Christ or that we become God or that we become divine. It does mean, like Peter says in 2 Peter, that we, we partake in the divine nature. That we receive so much from Christ. All that he has is shared with us. It's just the immensity of that uh, is, is absolutely staggering. One old pastor said it this way. He said, Faith, therefore, must be purely taught, namely that by faith you are so entirely and nearly joined unto Christ that he and you are made, as it were, one person, so that you may boldly say, I am now one with Christ. That is... Christ's righteousness, victory, and life are mine. And again, Christ may say, I am that sinner that is his sins, death, etc. are mine, because he is united and joined unto me and I unto him. For by faith we are so joined together that we are become one flesh and one bone, as Ephesians 5.30 says, we are members of Christ's body, of his flesh and of his bones. So that this faith does couple Christ and me more nearly together than the husband is coupled to his wife. Amen? That's what we have in Christ Jesus. That, that kind of blessing, that kind of life and identity. And so I, I want to talk about that a little this morning from Colossians 3. And the subject is difficult to talk about because of its scope. Uh, <laughs> Because this is, this, is, um, this is probably the biggest thing, the biggest reality in the Christian life. Everything about salvation ultimately comes down to this, that we are joined together with Christ. All of those, you know those big words that we throw around to talk about salvation. We're justified, that means that we're declared righteous. That's because we're united to Christ, and Christ is righteous, and so we're declared righteous because we're with him. Or, for example, that we are... Um, sanctified, we're become holy and we're counted as holy. All that is because we receive the Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, and He becomes our Spirit because we're joined to Christ. Or adoption, that we are sons of the Father. Well, we're sons of the Father because Christ is the only Son of the Father, and we are united to Him through faith. All of the words that we use for salvation really are just different ways of expressing this one reality that we are with Christ by faith. So the, the scope is, is vast. This is like, is if you were to get a letter in the mail tomorrow telling you that you had inherited from some, some you know, long dead uh, uncle. Well, not long dead if you're just inheriting it. But some recently deceased uncle. Uh, a vast, vast estate. You know, homes in, you know, in, in, in every uh, city in, in Europe and, you know, Vast holdings in the Pacific Northwest and, you know, owns half of Scotland or something. Um, it would take so much time for you to understand what you've been given. To, to grasp what's now yours. That's what's true of us in Christ. We're like those who yesterday were living on the street and, and begging for change. And today, you know, find out that you now are the owner of Google or something. What a state change. You know, and you head out to oh, it's time to to go beg for money. You know, it's rush hour. I might get some, I might get some handouts today. And you go, oh wait, I'm a quadrillionaire. Never mind, I've forgotten. 
Oh, that's what it's like for us. It takes a lifetime and more to even begin to explore this. The old preachers used to say that this is like uh, diving into an ocean that has no bottom and that has no shore. Right? To explore the riches that we have in Christ. It's like Scrooge McDuck in those old, not old, I guess, 90s cartoons. Where he would dive into, you, you remember Scrooge McDuck? Yeah. I'm not going to try to do the voice, but Scrooge, he, would, he would go into his treasure vault and there would be a diving board and a vault full of coins and he would dive in and swim around in the coins. That, that's what you and I have in Christ. It is a treasure beyond counting. So let's look at this here in Colossians 3. Because we are with Christ, our union with Christ, there are five facets of that that I would like to point out to you in Colossians chapter 3. First is that we have with Christ a new identity. A new identity in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Our identity is now in terms of Christ. Have you ever, in reading the New Testament, realized that the New Testament doesn't really use the word Christian very much? The word Christian is not littered throughout the pages of of the New Testament. It really doesn't occur. What what is it that that the authors of the New Testament call us? Well, Paul's favorite term for Christians is those who are in Christ. As in, that's your name now. That's your designation. That's your identity. You're one who is in Christ. It's like when, you know, when, when my wife got married, there's a sense in which she became Mrs. Daniel Stanley. She took on my identity. She has a new identity, a new name. And we have been betrothed to a far better husband than the one that my wife has. We have a new identity. Our whole identity. We are those who have been raised with Christ. If then you've been raised with Christ. Uh, this absolutely changes everything. Like, like a marriage, you know, like, like an adoption. Uh, you know, you've seen that, that musical, uh, I think it's just called Annie. Annie, the musical. Little Orphan Annie, maybe? I don't know. And she's this poor girl from, a, from an orphanage who gets adopted by one of the richest men in the city, Daddy Warbucks. And now everything has changed for her, right? Everything has changed for us. We are those who are in Christ. We have a new family, a new status, a new name, a new reputation even. Because we are in Christ. Uh, there's a story, and it... And it may or may not be apocryphal, but it sure sounds like Martin Luther. There's a story about Martin Luther that um, someone came to his home one day to speak with him, and they'd never met him before. They'd never seen him. They knocked on his door, and he had a large home. It was a former Augustinian monastery that had been given to him by Frederick the Wise. That doesn't really matter, but he had a large home and a lot of boarders and children and, and family members and, and servants and students at the school all stayed with him and his wife in their home. And so it was anybody's guess who would answer the door when you came knocking. And so this person came and knocked on his door, and Luther himself answered. And the visitor said, is Martin Luther here? And Luther's response was, no, Martin Luther has died. Christ lives here now. 
Christ lives here. Or back up about a thousand years before that, St. Augustine, the doctor of the church, you know that in his early life he was a bit of a profligate. Actually, he was very profligate, and he was immoral and, and um, particularly sexually immoral before his conversion. And then he's converted and after time becomes a bishop in North Africa. And when, one day he's back visiting Rome, hasn't been to Rome in decades. And he's walking the streets of Rome and, and a woman that used to be an intimate companion of his uh, sees him on the street as they're walking by each other. And she keeps trying to sort of catch his eye, you know, sort of coquettishly catching his eye. And he's just not taking any of the bait. And finally she walked up to him and said, Augustine, it is I, you know, wink, wink. And his answer to her was, yes, but it is no longer I. Everything has changed. A completely new identity because we are in Christ. And this entails a complete reorientation of our minds, of our behavior, of our perspective. Because we are those who are in Christ. Not only do we have a new identity, we have a new history. A new history. We're those who have been raised with Christ, who have died and are now alive. Verse 3 says, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. I have an old history. And that history is that I was a sinner. Ephesians 2 tells me that I was a child of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. A son of disobedience. That was my history. It was a history of sin and death. Not anymore. I've been given a new history in Christ. You have died. The penalty for sin is death. And when Christ died for your sin, in the mystery of the Spirit... You also died. You have died with Christ. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's good news. Our sinful past can no longer define us. Praise God, Roe v. Wade was overturned this week, right? Wicked, wicked law. Overturned. It's not even a law. Ruling. Whatever it was. Government overreach. But it was overturned. And, and there are these women who, perhaps now for the first time, because this is getting a lot of publicity, are reckoning with the fact that they've had multiple abortions. And perhaps some of them are repentant and, and want to come to Christ. Yes, Lord. And, and feel such guilt and shame. I've deluded myself into thinking that this wasn't a human being, but now I realize that I've been party to the murder of my own children. (laughs) But to those women, we ought to say, your sinful past cannot define you in Christ. You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have an entirely new history. You've been raised with Christ. 
you know, one of the many sinful travesties of a secular world is, is uh, historical revisionism, right? Rewriting history, like the 1776 project or, you know, some of those, the 1619 project, those kinds of things. Um, this is a kind of historical revisionism that is entirely godly. It's God rewriting our own history. He's thrown our sins into the deepest depths of the seas. He remembers them no more. He's given us a new history, the history of those who have died with Christ and been raised with him. The record of our debt has been canceled. The record of our debt has been nailed to the cross. Colossians 2 tells us that, that Jesus triumphed over his enemies, put them to open shame, took the record of our debt and nailed it to the cross, canceled it. You know John Bunyan. Bunyan struggled with this. Amazing man, amazing author, John Bunyan. Amazing preacher. Did you know that before he came to Christ, he also was a very immoral man and a sinner? And even after he came to Christ, he struggled with sin and had such doubts of his own salvation. He knew what he had done in the past and thought that it still defined him. But he was walking along. He said he was walking in a field one day, meditating on Scripture. And he said, I heard, as it were, a voice in heaven saying, Thy righteousness is ever before me. And Bunyan realized That because his righteousness was Christ, God can never say of Bunyan, he lacks my righteousness. For Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and Christ bears Bunyan's righteousness. Christ is Bunyan's righteousness. So that wherever God the Father looks, Bunyan's righteousness, that is to say Christ's righteousness, is always before him. So Bunyan's history is gone. It's wiped away. It's dealt with. Your history and my history is gone. We have a new history, and that is the history of those who have died and been raised up together with Christ. This history means that we're dead to sin. Have you ever wondered what Romans 6 means, what Paul means in various places when he says, you're dead to sin? Sometimes we don't feel as though we're dead to sin. Sometimes it doesn't seem as though we're dead to sin. We commit sins in the present. How is it that we are dead to sin? We might almost say divorced from sin. There's been a writ of divorce. We were coupled together with sin. Paul refers to a law of sin and death as though there's an obligation to sin that non-believers have. They're they're somehow chained to sin. And that chain has been broken. That law has been overcome. There's been a writ of divorce against sin because we've died. You've read Huck Finn. Maybe you haven't read Huck Finn. Maybe I'm assuming a lot. You've read Huck Finn, maybe. And remember how Huck got away from his dad. He faked his own death, right? He killed a pig and spreads blood around in the house. And then he and Jim got away. Well, why did he do that? He did it so his dad wouldn't come looking for him. So you and I are dead in a similar way to sin. We've died with Christ. Sin has lost the scent. We still sin from time to time, of course. But we cannot, are not, will not be owned by sin in the same way that we were before because our history has completely changed. 
Sin can no longer get at us, blame us, accuse us, or demand recompense from us. That verse I referred to in Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Set free from that other law, the law of sin and death. That's our new history. Thirdly, we have a new preoccupation. And that doesn't really sound right. A new obsession, a new vocation, a new adoration, whatever it is, whatever we would call it in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Or verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. My, my habit when I travel to preach is to um, listen to psalms on the way um, to where I'm going. And I, I can tell that you're a church that absolutely loves to sing. And, um, and you've, you've got some, some hymns and then some, some choruses you know, that seem to be a part of your, your regular um, pattern of worship. Add some psalms in there. For God's people who love God and love his word and love to sing, there's almost nothing better than singing the songs that God wrote for us to sing. Sing some. Are you writing that down, Josh, or Tom, or whomever? Write it down. Sing some psalms. I can give you some suggestions. When I come back, um, that's what I would like to see. But I was, I was singing Psalm 45 this morning. Psalm 45 is so wonderful. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme I address my verses to the king my tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe you are the most handsome of the sons of men grace is poured upon your lips therefore God has blessed you forever your throne O God is forever and ever the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness from ivory palaces stringed instruments make you glad daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor and so on and so on and so on it's, it's a song of praise to the king, but it's not just to the king, it's actually to Christ. And the New Testament quotes Psalm 45 as being true of Christ. Christ is the one that makes our heart overflow with a pleasing theme, and we address our verses to the king. Isn't that what the history of Christian hymnody and songwriting is? That our heart overflows with a pleasing theme to the king of heaven, to Christ. And so here we have this new preoccupation, seeking those things which are above. Everyone needs some kind of something to do. <laughs> it's why we have hobbies. I, 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 I'm, I hope not to sound too close to equating Christ to a hobby, but we, we, we're always meditating on something. We're always occupying our mind with something, Right? It's part of the difficulty that younger people face today is that there's this just constant flow of information and media that's coming at us, and it kind of keeps us from being occupied with maybe more healthy things. But everyone is always occupied with something, and here we have been given a new and holy occupation, a preoccupation, an obsession, an adoration with Christ, to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We've been given this new perspective. You know what it means, of course, when a preacher takes his watch off? Absolutely nothing. 
Not only a new perspective, but we've been given a new life. In verse 3, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We have a life in Christ, which is always new, always perfect. It partakes of the divine nature. It is unspoiled and unspoilable. Peter says in 1 Peter that it is kept in heaven for us. This new life. If I just gave you a new life, you would ruin it just like you ruined your old life. Can you say that about yourself? I can say that about myself. If someone just gave, here, free of charge, new life. Like a new iPhone or something. I'd drop it on the floor, you know, spill spaghetti sauce on it like I did with my old phone. That never happens. You know, we would, we would sully the life that we were given. This life is hidden with Christ and God. It's our life. It's been given to us. It's Christ's life given to us. Yet not so that we can spoil it. It doesn't tarnish or fade or rust. We have new life in Christ. This new life is the life in which Christ is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. That's a beautiful verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Christ has become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's a, that's a good one to memorize. That's the character of the new life that we have in Christ. Everything is new. And that's, that's 2 Corinthians 5. You remember that? Paul says, but if anyone is in Christ... New creation. That's the way it says, the, the, the way it reads in the original. You know, in our translations, it usually says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But Paul says it more like, if anyone is in Christ, and then he just stops and says, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are made new. The one seated on the throne in Revelation 21 says that, behold, I am making all things new. That's present reality. That's the new life in Christ that we have. And we can say this about ourselves. You can say it about yourself. I say it about myself. But I don't feel like I've been made new. I don't feel like I have a new life in Christ. Even apart from physical concerns, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that while the outer man is wasting away, the inner man is being renewed day by day. We say, all right, I get it. I get that I'm growing old and my back hurts and you know I'm not as spry as I used to be. That's what people don't tell you about your 30s. I've begun to decay already. <laughs> Even putting that aside, internally, I don't feel new. I've sinned this morning, and I, and I have my old habits sometimes, my old thought processes sometimes, my old attitudes sometimes. I've responded today the same way that I responded years ago to the same set of circumstances. I don't feel new. You ever think that? Well, Paul says that this life is hidden. With Christ and God. It's hidden. It's not immediately apparent. It doesn't make itself known to our senses or our perception. But this is good news. This is very, very good news. 
Because it means that we have Christ's life even when we don't feel it. You have Christ's life even on a cloudy day. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. And your perception of that life is irrelevant to the reality of that life. Sometimes the virtues that Christians have sleep. That's the way the old authors would say it. They sleep. Meaning Christians can be very earthly sometimes. And we shouldn't be. We can be. But that doesn't mean that these graces given to us by the Lord Jesus are gone, but that they sleep. Even so, we have a new life. And this new life will be revealed, will be fully revealed at Christ's coming. Someday you will not struggle with sin in the way that you do today. Someday you won't have the fears that you presently have. Someday your doubts will melt away like dew in August sunshine. All will be made new. All will be well. Because our life will be fully revealed at the coming of Christ. This life that is hidden will be immediately apparent. John says that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And when Jesus appeared to John, the man who wrote those words... They were astonished at him. He was hardly recognizable. He was so glorified. The marks of the fall had been so removed from Jesus, except for the the scars of his crucifixion, that he was hardly recognizable. And C.S. Lewis says that someday you and I will become creatures that if we saw now, we would be tempted to fall on our faces and worship So this life is hidden now, but it will not be hidden forever. It's like a seed that's been planted, and it will spring up. I planted very late this year um, because that's how I live my life. And uh, (laughs) I planted onions. I've never planted onions before. I'm a first-time gardener, really. Last year I planted some tomatoes and cucumbers and everything went wrong. Uh, I'm trying to do better this year. But I planted some onions and they haven't come up yet. And I'm very anxious. <laughs> I watch them every day. <laughs> See if they've come up. Well, in the new life, and I, I may have screwed it up so badly with the onions that I won't see onions this year. That's a possibility. Not so with the new life in Christ. 1 John 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That seed has been planted. Someday we will see a full harvest. And that leads me to my last point. And not only do we have a new identity in Christ, a new history in Christ, a new preoccupation in Christ, a new life in Christ, but we have as well a new destiny in Christ. In verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, 
Then you also will appear with him in glory. Once, I said before, we were children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 tells us that we were children of wrath. That means that we were destined for wrath. That means that the sword of Damocles was hanging over our heads. That we were being sort of looking over the precipice into the pit of hell where we deserve to be forever and ever, punished for our sins. That was our destiny. You can see it coming up. But no longer. Now we have a new destiny. Now we are destined for glory. We are in Christ and we will end up where Christ ends up. If I wanted to to travel and I said, forget about Pennsylvania, I want to see the world. Oh wait, we're in New York now, aren't we? Well, I'm from Pennsylvania. Forget about Pennsylvania, I want to see the world. And I just, you know, rushed to the nearest airport and said, I want a ticket to somewhere, don't even tell me where. And so they said, all right, well, we have a plane headed for Fiji. And so I I bought my ticket and I, I sit on the plane. And I say to the person next to me, I can't wait to see where I end up. I have no idea where I'm ending up. And they said, well, the plane's going to Fiji. Yeah, I know. But I can't wait to see where I end up. Well, if I'm in the plane, and the plane's going to Fiji, where do you think I'll find myself at the end of a 19-hour flight? In Fiji. If I board a plane heading to London, when that plane touches down, I will be in London. And so on. Why? Because I'm in the plane. Where the plane goes, I go. That's not a conviction on my part. That's not something I've decided. All right, this time I I will go where the plane goes because I'm in the plane. But next time, no, it's nonsensical. Where Christ goes, we go. Where Christ goes, we go. He will not leave us. Not like Kevin McAllister where the family jets off to Paris and he's home alone. He will not leave us. Our destiny is his destiny. Amen. And you could say, but I don't deserve good things. I've done too much wrong, or I'm too bad. I don't deserve good things. And the answer to that is, no, you don't deserve good things. We don't deserve good things. Nevertheless, he is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Isn't that what Hebrews tells us? Therefore, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Like a small child that says of a friend or a pet or a toy, I'm not going unless he comes. My son Gavin loves the movie Cars, and uh, he has a toy truck. Mac is the name of the truck in the movie because it's a Mac truck. And the other day, uh, uh, he needed a diaper change, and I said, all right, let's go change your diaper. And he started walking toward his room, and then he turned around and went and grabbed Mac. And then we, then we could go to get a diaper change. And the whole time, he's holding Mac. Why? Where he goes, Mac goes. That's just the way of it with two-year-old boys. Christ is not a two-year-old boy. He's the savior of the world. Even so, where he goes, we go. 
because we're in him. And he's taken us for his own. He's claimed us. Christ will not bring all of heaven to earth without a single one of his people. That's why we have these texts like 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is, is addressing this concern. There are people who say, where is the promise of his coming? For everything continues as it has from the beginning of creation. In other words, Christ isn't coming back. Don't you see? The world is eternal. It doesn't change. It's a very Greek mindset. And he reminds them of the flood. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the world that now is was once deluged in water and is now being stored up for, for judgment. But do not count the patience of our Lord toward you as slowness. He is not slow to fulfill your promises toward you. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life. All of who? All his people. All his people. He's not going to bring heaven to earth without a single one of his people. Jesus says in John 10, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and they will hear my voice, and I will bring them also. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, the seer, the overseer of our souls. He will not bring all of heaven to earth without one of his people. Christ is our life. And so like two ingots of metal that are melted and pounded together, our destiny is inseparable from that of Jesus Christ. You know, once you do that, once you take these two lumps of metal and heat them to a white heat in a forge and begin to pound them together, you're not taking those two pieces of metal back to their original, uh, uh, you're not going to be able to separate them again. They've now become one. So we have become one with Christ. That's our destiny. He's, you know, we say, people will talk about the, the power of God and ask those kinds of Dumb, frankly dumb questions. Can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? You know, when we say God can't, you know, God can do anything and they want to challenge, can God tell a lie? Can God create a rock so big he can't lift it? Etc. etc. There are things that God can't do because of his nature. He cannot be separated from his people in Christ. He will not. He cannot. It's in his nature. Paul tells Timothy that in 2 Timothy. Even if we're faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. And so being united to Christ in this way means that where Christ ends up, we will end up. What about this destiny? God will spend the coming ages pouring out the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that the promise in Ephesians 2? That in the coming ages, he might pour forth the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. When he appears, we will appear with him in glory. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's our new destiny in Christ. So let me close then with this. This is our union with Christ. 
It's all over the New Testament. It's the richest, most substantial promise of salvation that we find in the Bible. Repeated everywhere. And so what Paul is enjoining us to do in this particular passage is to lean into the reality of our union with Christ. The command here is set your minds on things above. To consider yourselves, as Paul says in Romans, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. To remember that where we were once slaves of sin, now we are slaves to righteousness. And so you must tell yourself every day, I am in Christ. I am new because I am in Christ. The old way doesn't fit me anymore because I am in Christ. Like, like a woman who mar- you know, from, the, from the wrong side of the tracks who marries a billionaire, and the next day she says, you know, well, I'd better, you know, pour water into the milk to stretch the milk and so on. And he says, sweetheart, you're not a pauper anymore. Stop doing the things you did when you were destitute. You're rich beyond your wildest dreams. So we are in Christ. So sin is poverty. Sin is misery. You're no longer bound to that. That's why he says in verse 5, and I promise I won't go on, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Therefore, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, because you've been raised with Christ, because when Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death all of that old all of that which is earthly in you. You are new. And your responsibility before God in Christ is to live like those who are new. Therefore, brothers, let us live worthy of the calling that we have been, uh, to which we've been called. To live as those who are new and not as those who are still dead. Kings are measured by their generosity. You know, an older uh, eras of human history uh, when the king would gather everyone for a, for a festival of some kind he would give gifts right? not receive gifts kings are measured by their generosity and there is no greater act of generosity than for the king of heaven to find the poorest and the foulest daughter of his weakest enemy and to die for her so as to marry her, so as to give her everything that he has, including himself, his very self. And that's what the king of heaven has done for us. So we are joined to Christ. And it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. So the the life we now live in the flesh, we must live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your grace and mercy toward us in Christ Jesus. And I ask that as we contemplate these things, that you would stir up in our hearts a love for Christ, a faith in Christ, obedience to Christ, hope in Christ so that we would indeed be salt and light to a world that is dying as we hold out uh, the word of life. Help us in all of these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Turn your hymn books to 321, I Walk with the King. Really reflects well what he was speaking about. We can praise the Lord, we walk with him. Even when we don't always feel like we're part of that walk, we still are one in him. And that's the greatest joy. 321, to know that we are always his. In sorrow I wandered, my spirit oppressed, but now I am happy, securely at rest. From morning till evening, glad carols I sing, and this is the reason I walk with the King. I walk with the King, hallelujah. I walk with the King, praise His name. No longer I roam, my soul faces home. I walk and I talk with the King. For years in the fetters of sin I was bound. The world could not help me, no comfort I found. But now, like the birds and the sunbeams of spring, I'm free and rejoicing, I walk with the King. I walk with the King, hallelujah. I walk with the King, praise His name. No longer I roam, my soul faces home. I walk and I talk with the King. O soul near despair in the lowlands of strife, look up and let Jesus come into your life. The joy of salvation to you he would bring. Come into the sunlight and walk with the King. I walk with the King, hallelujah. I walk with the King, praise His name. No longer I roam, my soul faces home. I walk and I talk with the King. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the message today reminding us of who we are who we are in Christ. Father, the world is nothing compared to our relationship with Christ and all we have gained because of it. Help us to see ourselves as one so loved by God, so loved by Christ that he gave his life and all that he has for a relationship with us. As a result, might we reflect on that and not allow Satan to destroy what we have, to give us arguments that make us less than what we are, but rather that we would always look to you, that we would recognize such great love, and that we, in response, would love you and enjoy that relationship. Thank you, Father, for this day. We praise you for it. Help us to go, having grown and changing to be more like your son. In Christ's name, amen.
You are dismissed. You.